and welcome back to the Why Hockey periodically never paying $8 for Elon Musk's fake verification podcast. Although if we did do that, what company's stock value would be tank? I would pick SpaceX at this point, actually, now that I think about it. That's a good one. Uh, How, I would, if you were I would somebody go with Comcast, that's, fa- that's also but. fair. Look, uh, I want to say, if you are somebody, I don't want to spend too much time talking about Elon Musk's hell app at this point, because everybody has. But if you are somebody who likes space, as I do, I'm very, I, I love talking about space. How on earth does anybody feel that you would want to go with Elon Musk on SpaceX to Mars after everything you have seen in the last three weeks? How insane do you have to be? And also, if you own a Tesla, and I have multiple family members who own a Tesla at this point, how do you not leave it in a parking lot and send it on fire? Like, how well, do you... you sunk some costs into it, I guess, but... Well, I mean, it is a sunk cost <laughs> fallacy, but the only thing that means anything in a Tesla is the batteries, and once those go, could put the cars totaled. So, but, but again, how do you even feel comfortable owning a Tesla at this point as a public statement of who you are as a person, even if you bought it well before this? I, I just don't understand it. It makes no sense. I, I, I mean, yeah, I'm not a big Elon Musk fan, but, I mean, I, I'll just say that if, one, if you're worried about life without Twitter... Oh boy, because most of life is lived outside of Twitter. And then also, if you're ready to get rid of Twitter, I hope you already gave up Facebook because face Facebook is like. I mean, and that means we have to give worse. up Instagram, which yeah, I use but I mean, and I don't want to, but hey, I have to. Yeah, I mean, I think. But hey, Mastodon. I I, th- I would recommend people don't join anything new, and uh, maybe maybe we just cut exercise exercises out of our lives. But, oh, we are not going to be able to do yeah, that just, because human beings start, have great vices. Start some WhatsApp chats, man. Just just get your friends, start some WhatsApp chats. Maybe we go back to the chat rooms of like AOL days, you know. I mean, I'm in I a couple know. Discord servers and I, I like Discord. Maybe we'll start a Y Hockey Discord at some point. Actually, that might be a good idea. We'll have to yeah, get on that. Yeah, I think that's I think that's, you know, and like I don't know Mastodon, uh, everyone seems to say there's problems there and everything, but it, I don't want to do anything that seems to be a Twitter replacement. I want something that's not social media, but that's just me personally and I, not hockey opinion, obviously. I think that what I've learned about um, Twitter is we are all incredible at, you know, just like we're going to laugh at these things as they go down in flames. And you know what? There is something admirable about that. I love, like, the best part about Twitter is watching crazy things happen whether it's in sports or in life as they're happening and laughing at it as they happen and watching the entirety of twitter dunk on elon musk because he's so stupid enough to permanently become the main character on twitter as a twitter junkie is one of the most hilarious and amazing things i've ever seen and so even if twitter is dead we're going down swinging and that's great let's talk about the florida panthers because we have talking about it on Twitter, well, and it's not talking about Elon Musk. It's great. Yeah. Well, well first, let's just start off with, um, if you haven't yet, please go back to the last episode. And before listening to this episode, listen to the episode you did with Jack Hahn. I thought that was probably one of the best podcasts we've done as far as speaking directly to the heart of the matter of the current Florida Panthers team as far as X's and O's structure, intention, and purpose behind what they're trying to do and how they're trying to leverage their personnel. Uh, you know, good good stuff, uh, and I think it's a must-listen, and it'll definitely give needed background for what we're going to 
most we'll mostly talk about here with the Panthers. I love talking to Jack. He's one of my favorites. He's one of our favorites. Truly one of the smartest people in hockey. We don't have enough people talking about the actual X's and O's of the sport out there in the public sphere, and he's able to bend all of these great things together, scouting, analytics, all of it. And what I wanted to focus on on that show, we recorded it before the Anaheim game, but nothing really has changed since then, is how could a team that has these wildly great five-on-five numbers, and they do, and bad special teams, but we'll talk about that as well at some point, how could a team that has such great numbers as having very many great performances, you're having Josh Mahura play out of his mind, Braden Montour playing out of his mind, we'll get to that too. How is that team 8-6-1? and one? And how does that team feel so mid, for lack of a better term, when they are this good 5-on-5? Five five? And you look at Jay Fresh's numbers that he posts on Twitter on a semi-regular basis, and you go, oh, this team's 15 goals below expected, by far the worst in the league. And you're going, that sounds about right, but why is it happening? And I wanted to figure that out because we're 15 games into this season. Jack Hahn says that this is a playoff team that's probably not going to have home ice, which is what we thought before the season, and it's nice to see that that's been validated, although I think anybody watching the Panthers could tell you that's probably what they think this team is going to be. But they are so confusing. There's a lot in the league that's confusing right now, but the Panthers particularly are extremely confusing in the fact that they should be a lot better than they are, and yet I also feel entirely comfortable saying this is what they are. It's a very weird paradox. And I think Jack did a really good job of putting together why that is. Yeah, agreed. I, I think, you know, the first point is, you know, you look at these, let, let's let's call them what they are. I mean, they're macro level um, indicators. Like they're indicators of general health. We know the Panthers are playing generally well and generally possessing the puck and generally getting the better run of play. We know that. But, you know, to just look at these macro level measurements and say, okay, we don't need to do any data analysis. We don't need to, you know, go deeper into this and look at more specific stuff against what Florida is trying to do or what they're struggling with and, and try to get more insights on what they can do to better their chances of finishing shots and, and stopping more pucks. Um, it's just silly not to go that extra step and just be like, all right, the top level stuff looks good. Let's not go for, you know, let's not, you know, everything's good. We'll just wait for the puck luck to come and turn around. I think, you know, to get that puck luck to turn around, Florida needs to go deeper than just the overall expected goal metrics and stuff and look at, you know, use those to guide them into, you know, what to look for and how to how to change. I, um, I think what you're trying to say is basically don't just expect your shooting percentage to regress upward. You have to do things to help your shooting percentage regress upward. And right. to me, I use this phrase all the time because I do believe it. You have to put yourself in positions to be lucky or unlucky. Luck is a thing. The Panthers are right now, I think if you look at their numbers and you look at the way that they play, they're an unlucky team right now. On ice, not with, say, injuries and other things going on, but they're an unlucky team. But they put themselves in a position to be an unlucky team. And to me, and I think Jack Hahn touched on this, and we're going to touch on it on this podcast too, these little things that they can change can help them 
put themselves, for lack of a better phrase, in a position to get luckier. And that is something that can matter when you are playing games, as Paul Maurice's teams tend to do, on the margins. Because this team, until the Carolina game, had played every game decided by two goals or less, one or one plus an empty net. That's insane. Like, we see in the NHL plenty of blowouts. No Panthers game has been a blowout. All of them have been close, even when the Panthers are putting 50-plus shots on bad teams. The games are still close. Is that by design by Paul Maurice? You might say yes. Is it the way that they are playing? I would say yes. Does it mean that if they were luckier, they would start blowing people out? Probably. But that doesn't mean they're not putting themselves in position to be where they are. Yeah, and diving more into, you know, these expected goals and and all of these different metrics, you know, we're not saying don't use data. Like, use data to be like, okay, I think this is a perfect opportunity for Florida to optimize their own scoring chance, own, you know, shot metrics. You know, look at Historica shooting data they have, what led to goals the most, you know, and and try to create a metric that they can keep track of and and incentivize their forwards, their defensemen. You know, these are the types of shots. These are the types of when you're shooting. These are the locations on the net you should be shooting for, and and start drilling them in and using these and developing a new stat or new metrics. You know, to measure their ability to do that. And you know, I think that's how you move forward. That's how you can use these stats to you know improve their shooting quality improve their puck luck um you know because i think that's how i would use the stat i wouldn't just use the stat and say all of these shots we're taking have a a a expected goal value some shots are like a 0.02 expected goals or whatever you know when you stack those up you know, it might equal one expected goal, but at no time is that shot ever really expected to go in. So like, I don't, you know, I think, you know, it measures, they look at like, they look at one timers, one timers have a better, um, a better value than like slap shots or, or wrist shots and stuff like that. But they don't tell you if like the wrist shot was the per- the player did an extra stick handle which changed the give him a worse shooting angle. Like they had the puck in the middle of the ice in the perfect area. They could have shot it. They did one more stick handle, took the, took the puck more to the further to the outside, outside their body and gave them a worse shooting angle. It, the stats are really good, but they're not that detailed to pick up that stuff. And if you watch the Florida Panthers, you see that happen all the time. Florida is gripping their sticks too tight and they're making decisions where, yeah, they might be getting a backdoor pass in a high area spot, but then they're doing an extra stick handle, and by that time the goalie's there, they take the shot, and it goes right into the logo on his chest. And it's marked as a high-danger shot, and it's like, oh, it's going to go in. But unless they change what's driving those behaviors, I don't think it is going to get better, especially when you're seeing this disparaging you know, difference between expected goals and what they're actually scoring. Disparity. I mean, it is yeah. disparaging because, yeah. you know, I well, mean, we are going to disparage some Florida players and- on this podcast, unfortunately. I don't like doing that, but we're going to have to, and some decisions that have been made. But I think when we talk about why this team 
is struggling to score, when it feels like they should be blowing people out of the water, Edmonton was a great example of that. Why is this happening? I think a lot of it, as what Jack Hahn said, it comes from decisions that they made, not just in the way they're playing stylistically, but personnel. And I think the discussion about Alexander Barkov that we had on that podcast was as good a discussion on him as we've had on any of the many podcasts we've done. And what Jack mentioned, why is Barkov not scoring? Why are some of these really good players that are not named Carter Verhage not scoring? And I think a lot of it is because they're asking these players, because of personnel deficiencies elsewhere, to do quite a bit more than they had been doing. Think about what the Panthers looked like in the Quenville era, okay, whether it be Quenville or Brunette, and the kinds of things that they would ask their forwards to do and the kinds of things that they were asked their defensemen to do. And then think about what you're seeing this year. And even if you can't accurately describe those differences, what feels different? Does it feel like certain players have to work harder to make these things happen? Because it does feel to me like Sasha Barkov has to do a lot more work in certain areas of the ice because of the way they are playing, which means by the time he gets to the offensive zone, might he be tired in a shift? Might he not do the little extra things that he could do in the offensive zone that he would have been able to do in a system that was a little bit different? I think that's part of it. And I think also, when you're funneling chances to players who are just frankly not as good, and you are giving them those minutes by choice or otherwise, then you're simply not going to get the same level of finishing that you would when you had better players on your team. And they made deliberate decisions to have certain players on this team that are not as good finishing. When you're funneling shots from the point from Mark Stahl, of all people, you are not going to get the same kind of finish you would get if you had any other defenseman up there. You're not going to get the same level of finish if you're having Ryan Lomberg on your second line, as you would compared to anybody else. Anthony Duclair is hurt, but you get the idea. So a lot of these deficiencies that we are seeing from this team come from systemic changes they had to make because they had sore spots in their personnel that they have to cover up for. And that's what Jack Hahn was trying to say in the best terms that you could put that in. And what that means is, you're going to see probably quite a bit of the same because of the personnel they have. And he also made another interesting point that I want to drill down on. A lot of what the Panthers look for in the kinds of players they sign and the kinds of players they find is not necessarily elite finishing. For as good as a lot of the finishers on this team can be, who's the best finisher on this team? And I'm asking that as an open-ended question. It's, it's, I mean, it's, Bar- it's, it's Barkov, and the problem is Barkov isn't a shoot-first player. So, But also, I think we, when you look at it, the best two finishers on this team right now, if you Barkov excluded because he is doing other things to help drive offense and drive play, probably Carter Verhage, who is having a, the only really, truly great offensive season for anybody. Matthew Kachuk's a different player, and we could talk about that. But also, I say Anthony Duclair, and Duclair's hurt right now. So yeah. when your best finishers are one, Carter Verhage, who is great, he's having a very good season, and he's doing all the things we like to see him do, and your other best finisher is hurt, and your third best finisher is somebody who has to do a bunch of other things except finishing, you're going to be relying on other players to finish chances. We're just simply not as good at it. And he made the point about Matthew Kachuk. For all the good things that Matthew Kachuk is doing, and he has been insanely good, I'm 
I want to make that clear. Matthew Kachuk is not the world's best finisher. You know, a lot of his chances that he scores are greasy goals, tippins in front of the net, dirty stuff. It is not entirely going to be Carter Verhage streaking down the left wing and blowing a shot top corner on a goalie or Anthony Duclair doing something similar. And that's the difference. And when you think about that as being your difference, when your best players aren't necessarily your best finishers, combine that with the other personnel deficiencies that you have, most of them are deliberate, you can now see why a team can generate so much 5-on-5 and be consistently good 5-on-5. And yet, they're not finishing. And there will be some natural regression upward, but this team could be third, second, or worst in the league in goals scored below expected all season, and it might not get all that much better, even if this naturally regresses upward a little bit, just because of some of the choices that they made. That does not make them a bad team, but it does make that a team that made choices that is going to make them, again, for lack of a better term, a certain way in terms of style of play and a certain way in terms of finishing, and that might be just what this team is. Yeah, I mean, and trying to give some examples of what you're talking about is think about the way that they're trying to generate their shots uh, on five on five and even on the power play. I I like to call it is they're trying to go they're trying to go downhill, uh, and, and what I mean by that is when they get set up in the offensive zone because their rush game is pretty non-existent at this point. Um, which, you know, is a Maurice factor, I think, um, it, you know, is they want to move the puck backwards and have their F3 and their defensemen, but mainly their defensemen jumping downhill, walking in the shots, walking in the open ice with speed where they can either, you know, take the puck from the top of the circle to the bottom of the circle or, you know, um, they're trailing in on the rush and you're looking back. What happens with, I mean... And and there is some merit to that. You know, you, you if you're going to be taking a lot of point shots, you might as well have have it be where the defender can walk in and, and take a you know have some more momentum into it. And to interrupt we'll going... just for a moment, it's not a bad idea because you do have Montour's got a good shot. You know, Aaron Ekblad's got a good shot. Forsling could do that. But when you are a team that is struggling to finish, as it seems the Panthers are and you're asking Josh Maher to do a lot of this, and Radko Gudis and Mark Stahl, what do you think's going to happen? Yeah, Yeah, and these, and like, Josh Maher has been great in everything, but he's not going to finish anywhere close to, like, a league average top nine forward. And so by, you know, when you're focusing on driving the main point of your offense of coming off the cycle and moving pucks to, and having defenders jump in, have and, and moving pucks back and across seams, you're giving defensemen and the goalie a chance to step out and get into get into blocks. You're you know if you're moving the puck towards the net on these angle seams, you you're you're much more likely to beat defenders and take them out of the play. You know, get around their sticks, get around their 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 shin pads, get around their skates, and also. Get behind the goalie. Get around the goalie. Have the goalie caught out. Um, when you're moving the puck backwards, you're giving them the chance and the time to react, to step out, and to position themselves. And you see it with the amount of 
blocks and shots wide and stuff because by the time the puck gets back to that defenseman or back to that forward who's playing high, um, you know, they're they're covered. They're you know, there's somebody out there reacting. It causes them to take longer to get the shot off because they have to then change their angle to try to get around the body or, you know, try not to get it blocked or they dump off the puck or move it down low. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, when it comes to their jam plays and stuff in front, a lot of their, I mean, this is, again, just my opinion and, and just from my experience watching, is they're not, you know, slot assists. They're not cross-ice passes and stuff moving, you know, up, you know, moving down the ice front to back. They're more coming from behind the net. They're more, you know, rebounds or, or, or kind of chip plays and stuff, you know, coming from that downhill play. They're, they're you know, it's, it's consequential of that downhill play. And I think, you know, what they need to be doing is I understand they really want to play this way. They don't have the D personnel to play that way. Until you do, you have to turn it back a little and you have to turn up the rush game a little more. You have to give the forwards the, the chance to get out of the defensive zone before the defenders do. Have the defenders stay back a little. Have the defenders break out the puck more. Have them be a little more structured and spine, you know, in the neutral zone, in the defensive zone, you know, I just think it needs to be adjusted a little bit because you look at where the, you look, you go to hockey viz, you go anywhere and you look at where they're taking shots. You look at where they're finishing shots and it's ridiculous. You know, they can't finish finishing chart on hockey viz. This is free. You don't have to subscribe to hockey viz for it. And you look at last year compared to this year, their offense isn't really all that different. The plus 21 plus 28% is different, but look at where the red areas are. The red area, there was a huge blob in front of the net in red area last year. That's still there. It's not quite as big this year. But you're looking at, oh, they're getting shots from the right circle. Why? wonder why that is. Who plays on the right side of defense? You know, look at where they are on the left side. Left side goal line extended. Who plays there usually? Does that happen to be Matthew Kachuk? I mean, you can see. And they're finishing from the left point is where you're getting some red, uh, when you're getting red hexagons. And from that Again, left goal line extended area. Why is that? That's where Matthew Kachuk usually plays. So, and you look at this giant sea of blue inside the circles and down to the goal line, right to the crease. Some of this is, again, as we said, stylistic choices, the things that they want to do. And I get why they're trying to do it. I completely understand it. But I also know that at some point, you know, they're going to keep losing games that they should be winning. And I don't think they've played a really terrible game overall this season. They've had a lot of bad periods and a lot of really bad stretches. But I don't think I've seen a 60 minutes where like, wow, that was a complete turkey. You know, I've seen those moments and they know they can turn it on. But when you can't finish the same way as you did a year ago because some of your personnel is different and is just not very good at finishing compared to what you used to have, you're going to get yourselves into positions where you're pushing and pushing, but you can't actually blow the house down. And that's what it feels like in a lot of these games where you're watching them play against a, a Flyers team who is clearly inferior to them. They are giving them the business and they can't finish and they lose because of it. And that's why when you play on those margins and you're not finishing, 
it's great when you're having 60% expected goals at even strength, but you're going to lose if you're going to play on the margins because you can't finish. Yeah, and I mean, again, this is not including special teams, but... Um... I think it's important to recognize when you watch this team play that it feels like they maybe are taking an extra step to get to the grade-A scoring chance. It's a lot less instinct than it was a year ago. Does that make sense? Because last year I talked a lot about how the Panthers knew that system back to front. They were an instinctual team. And so they made a lot of plays without thinking. And that extra beat that it now takes them to make a pass or to take a shot or to get that puck in front of the net, right? That extra beat is causing a defender or a goalie to get over and block a shot or make a play. And that's what turns a goal into a good chance that's not a goal. I, I mean, I, I think I think it's a it's a and this is the point I was trying I, I lost uh, a few moments ago was um, this year it seems like the teams that they play all they focus on is just you know pressuring the you know playing out wide spreading themselves you know playing a little bit more man to man and just focus on not giving Florida time they're not finishing so you know we don't have to really care where they are or try to force them to certain spots we just have to not give them time and they won't be able to finish their chances you know let's just stay with them get the pucks and get them out and you're noticing when you're watching teams play and you know and you talked about how the defenders are trying to get up the wall right and make a play on that pinch if you're seeing somebody with that back pressure coming at that defenseman they chip that puck the defenseman is caught out now, last year, a lot of those led to odd man rushes against, but because this is Paul Maurice, it's not really leading to odd man rushes against. They're actually really good at rush chances against, but it means that while they're taking risks with certain players, their defensemen, they're not taking as many risks with their forwards, and when you aren't as willing to take risks with those forwards, especially really good forwards, then that means you are sacrificing a little bit of what you could do offensively because you're a tiny bit more risk-averse, and when that happens, it means you're playing on the margins more. Well, I, I well, I think last year, I mean, it's 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 less about you know those rushes against and stuff, and I, I think it's more about like when this year they're not given the time and space, they're not because they don't, they're not a threat to score. I mean, last year they were able to kind of get a li- it's like you know you call respect, like teams would play more of a structure, protect more of the house, be be more, you know, intentional and deliberate in how they would defend Florida. This year, that's not the case. It's just, you know, stay on them, pressure them, don't give them time, you know, and it'll work out because they can't finish. By finishing their chances, improving that, and, you know, and scoring more, they're going to back up D. Their their rushes are going to improve. They're going to get, you know, and then they're going to get teams to be more protect the house, and they're going to get more time and space and, and the ability to set up more. Uh, and and kind of play the game they want to play and play their pace, um, and and the reverse when you know Florida's defending that's what they're doing. If you look at, at that Hockey Viz team page and you see the Florida saving chart, I mean they're giving up all you know what goals are going in the long the long point shots from dead center, the the shots right where the faceoff circles are on either side, this, which which I think those are called. To me, those are the prime soft areas. The the center point is where is the soft area where the blue liners, the defenders, and the F3s can really find soft ice and, and be able to create shots. And around those those dots, that's that's a 
prime soft area spot. And you notice, and that, if you look at that chart, it's not that they're giving up a ton of shots in those areas. That's where a lot of the blue is on the Viz. But when they do give up shots, their goals. Think about Saturday. Yeah. Tyson Berry scores on two of those. You know, that's your game, pretty much. You yeah. Know? Be- what's, what's happening on those shots are lost coverage, screens in front, you know, too many guys packing the house, trying, you know, and, you know, I, I think if Florida, you know, had better defensive forces, they would be able, the, the forwards would be able to go out and pressure more. You would be able to have forwards who are patrolling those face-off circles a little more or in those areas freed up more to jump in and stop those 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 prime scoring chances there. Instead, uh, they're they're more central, they're more compacted towards the center slot and the high crease, helping out these defensemen. And that's the issue. That's an issue. If these defensemen were able to do their job themselves, handle it, the forwards wouldn't have to creep down. They'd be able to get out there and protect the, these other areas. Um, and you know, what the other teams get that Florida doesn't get is the, is that time and space and the ability to get into these prime finishing spots with time and space to just rip it and not have to think about it, you know, not worry about bearing down on their chances because, you know, they're getting two goals on the first eight shots or ten shots. And, you know, Florida, every time they come down on a rush, every time someone's shooting, by the end of a game, I feel like they're in their heads about – okay, I have to put it in the perfect spot to score because we have 40 shots and one goal, you know? I think, you know, it's just kind of a defeat. The way they're playing is adding to the lack of confidence. I think that there's also, you know, the idea, as you said, like a lot of .02 expected goal shots when you add them up looks like, you know, a fairly healthy number of expected goals, but you needed to take a lot of shots to get there. Or, or, I mean, to be honest, what, what, What's a high danger shot from, you know, five feet out from the front of the net if the guy catches it, does a stick handle, and then shoots it into the goalie's chest? Like, I, I don't know. Like, someone tell me if expected goals covers for that. I think they not. do. I mean, like, because it also comes, but I, here's the public models are not as good as the private models, and we'll never know. You know? So, but I, I mean, would love to see what the Panthers' internal expectations are about what's going on here or like to me what i see a lot is um you know we were just talking about those face-off dots i see a lot of times the florida panthers forwards passing the puck on those face-off dots instead of taking shots back to where the defensemen are um and you know yeah the defenseman might get still get a high danger shot because it's a one-timer from you know the tops of the circles or something and it still might get but that wasn't the best shot. That wasn't the best play at the moment. You notice how Goldie and Red Deer are kind of saying that on the broadcast, too? Like, if you're listening to them on a play like that, you're going, and obviously these guys are homers, every home broadcast is, but you can hear it creeping in. They're like, I don't think that was the best play to pass it there. And Randy yeah. Moeller doesn't often say that. He's saying that more when you see those face-off plays where they're cycling it out to the defenseman, and that defenseman is often, I don't know, Mark Stahl, so of course the chance isn't as good as if it was Barkoff or Anton Lundell taking it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you can hear it, too. 
and you... and like some of them are great plays. They're kind of like bumper plays to the defenseman. But the problem is they should be using the other forwards. They should be using F three as the bumper, and and having the the defenseman be the people working the puck to the bumper instead of jumping down and being the bumper in the center of the ice. Yeah, and I think that you were talking with me about how it's a defenseman focused system. And yeah. what Jack Hahn said is, it, 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 he said the opposite, but it also it means the same. Like, it just means what they're asking their forwards to do is just more work than compared to what they're asking their defensemen to do. And it means it is a defenseman-focused system because a lot of the things that they are doing stems from what they're asking their defensemen to do, which means it cascades from there. Which is what we're trying to say is, a lot of this team's finishing is bad luck, but they're putting themselves in position for bad luck. And that's yeah, what I'm talking I, about. I just can't accept the idea of waiting it. I mean, I'm not asking for radical changes, but at a certain point, you have to be like, okay, we've taken, like, look at this sample size. This is a, you know, this is 654 minutes of five on five hockey. We should be getting three and a, and a third goal on five on five a game. You know, like that, and that's, they're not, and they're not, they're not getting close to that. So what, at a certain point you have to be like, okay, what can we glean from this data? Where does this data tell us to go? What other data can we collect and look at and compile? And how can we meet with the coaches and put that into an actionable strategy and game plan to improving it? And like I said, it starts simple. It's, it's it's changing the shooting mentality from what what they're doing now to you know instead of looking for those back back passes where the defenseman or the trailer whatever position they play is come is skating downhill looking for those shots and you know turn up the rush turn, try do a little less dump and chase be a little less forward checker heavy uh you know turn up the rush a little more and and allow your forwards to get out of the zone quicker um, and, and take a little more risk that way. Um, you know, have, have guys, if you're, if you're in the home plate area and you get the puck, you're shooting. And when you're shooting, they should just, they should be looking at data and being like, okay, these are the best places to score on this goalie. Every shot you should be aiming for that. That's what that people are doing to, on Spencer Knight. Yeah. I mean, I don't like, it's great they're they're just throwing the kitchen sink at the net, but I think if they shot ninety percent of the same amount of shots, but were ten percent more targeted on attacking the weakness of the other goalie, they would score more goals. And it only takes one more goal with how close they play. It only takes one more goal to win some of I these mean, games. Look at the, look at the Edmonton that's, game. That's a one more goal, they win the game. You know, all these yeah. other losses that we did not like you know, the, the bad losses in Chicago or in Arizona, Philly, one more targeted play and the game completely shifts because, because you're playing on the margins. Because, you know, what, what, what really happens there is, you know, and, and it happens more to Bob than Knight because Bob plays more, but as Knight continues to play more, you'll, you might start to see it grow with them, is when, it's a, when you're always playing close and you lose more games than you should, which I think we can all agree that the Panthers have, it gets put down, it, the pressure gets ramped up on defensemen and goalies to be perfect. And forwards who aren't 
coming anywhere close to being successful at their job of scoring kind of, you know, get a little bit off the hook. Unless you're Alexander Barkov and the crazies on Twitter blame him for everything. But like, you know, like the scoring, you know, if, if Florida scored, you know, some of the, you know, they could have beat Edmonton, but my takeaway and, and was the penalties and the goal against Knight gave up the second the pe- on the power play to Barry was the backbreaker. That that sealed the game at that moment. The game was lost rather than won, uh, and you know that that puts way too that puts way too much pressure on the goalie to be perfect. Because at the end of the day, Spencer Knight's young, and Bobrovsky's fighting back from you know his aging curve and some bad hockey. So there are they are going to give up a weak goal every game or or about you know uh, this year at least most likely so you 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 got to make it easier on them give them the space to breathe to make those mistakes last year Bobrovsky and Knight could make that mistake and give up a soft goal a game it didn't matter because you were winning by two plus a game or right even if you gave up four you knew that they on yeah. offense could score six and right. this year. By design, I think, largely, they're playing in very tight margins because they know, okay, in the playoffs, we're going to have to do this. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's the regular season, a Tuesday night game in November. You can afford to let these guys play on the rush a little bit more. This is not a Tuesday. This is not the kind of game you're going to play in April. But you got to get to April 1st. And and we're not saying, you know you know, go polar opposite and way and just completely pond hockey it or anything like that. But imagine if the Edmonton Oilers told they they sat down in the off season. They're like, okay, we're not going that far in the playoffs. You, you know, like we can be better. We have the, we have these two great players. Like we have a great, we have a top talent core. How can we leverage them? Okay, let's make let's make sure that McDavid and Dreisaitl are the first back all the time to break out pucks. Let's make sure that they're covering behind, uh, you know, Nurse who's jumping up, and we're gonna try to get McDavid and Dreisaitl to funnel and feed pucks to Nurse. We're just gonna have Nurse because Nurse is really athletic, man. He's crazy, He's, and and we can get some more potential out of him. I, I see it. So we're just gonna funnel a bunch of pucks to Nurse and. Barry and stuff because Barry's got a hard shot and uh, you know as long as you know McDavid and Dreisaitl on the ice you know covering for guys and and being you know where we have trouble spots or weak spots we'll just plug in McDavid and Dreisaitl and we'll be fine like the Oilers would have never made the playoffs in the last like three years they get there and they get so far because they say McDavid and Dreisaitl are our best assets Let's put let's build the game around what they do best. Mm-hmm. You know, Barkov is is really good at defense, but if you want him to break out pucks more and be the main guy at that, just put him on defense so he so he doesn't have to skate so hard back. <laughs> you know, like there are times it, when you're like, shouldn't Alexander Barkov just play defense if this is what you're going to ask yeah, him to do? Yeah, pair him with Ekblad so you can sit stall and you know <laughs> and play like, two better point. forwards. Like I mean, at that point. At this point, the way they're playing and the stylistic choices they're making, that like it, it's it's a joke, but that's why we're joking about it because it's almost basically what's t- coming. At, what's, they're what's asking Alexander Barkov to do an amazing amount of things that yeah. we hoped he would not have to do because they're covering. Some of it was because Ekblad wasn't playing, and I understand that. 
but also some of it is because, well, you know what? When your fourth line features Eric Stahl, who, by the way, according to Natural Stack Trick, has a 29% expected goals for percentage on a team that is, according to Money Puck, first in the league in that department. Yeah. If not first, they're top three. They're, it's they're, unbelievable, by the way, that that is they're happening. They're swimming in expected goals. Like, and, like, like when you look and, at the numbers for a team, okay, the, the real gen, the benchmark is, are you above or below that number that the team is at? And if I'm looking at the Panthers, most of these players are pretty much at the number or above it. Like Matthew Kachuk, according to Natural Statric, is at 66% expected goals on a team that's averaging like 58. So that's really good. Okay, some guys are a little bit below it, but that's fine. You can have that. It, it means they're not, you know, getting sunk. But then I look at Eric Stahl, 28.59% expected goals for percentage. And Natural Stat- you're going to find different numbers, but Money Puck has it at like 28%. And this is what I'm talking about with the decisions they make are forcing their hand in this. And looting Rudy Balser's on waivers to the Lightning because you wanted to play Eric Stahl Jeez. is one of the worst decisions the Panthers have made yeah. in years. I mean, it's and a it's, talent-esque move. But, and it's a forced error. You can't even say, well, things looked a lot different in July when we signed him. They, had the, they signed Mark Stahl in the summer. They had the chance to sign Eric Stahl and, and plan it into the budget and everything like that. But nope, they signed him to a contract off of PTO after the year already started, after they already knew they were on a cap crunch, and after they already knew they had to dance perfectly to get Duclair off. And I'm pretty sure this was after Ekblad. They could only sign after Ekblad got hurt. And we were were wondering, you and I were worried, because when they waived Heponiemi and Carlson at the start of the season, we were going, oh no, what are they doing here? But they couldn't do anything with Eric Stahl because of the salary cap. And then when Aaron Eckblad got put on LTI, they were able to sign Eric Stahl. And because of their situation with the salary cap, he's got to play every night. Eric Stahl yeah. is not an every night NHL player anymore. He's, he's not an worse NHL than Joe Thornton. He was oh, worse yeah, than he's Joe, worse than Joe and, Thornton. And, the, and, and, the, the, and like, it's concerning that now the guys are just being guaranteed spots because the coach likes them and thinks that they're good character guys. We're back to that. We're back to 2012. We're back to 2014. We're back to that BS. You know, that was gone for like a year and a half, two years. It was great. It stinks now. Um, and, and Eric Stoll, but like the fact I hate that they, to say it, is costing the Panthers games. They signed the contract knowing that they were going to have to risk losing a, somebody to, to get Ekblad back in a month and a half. Or a month or whatever it was, right? Four weeks or whatever. Yes. And they and they activated him the first game that it was possible. So the fact that they did that is such an unforced error. And some people will say it's not, you know, it's not gonna kill them, yada yada. But I mean Oh yeah, it is. It, I mean, it's not like he went to Arizona or something. There is a distinct possibility it could directly hurt them, uh, you know, in the regular season and in the playoffs. But also, like, it shows it shows a continued pattern or trend, whatever you want to call it, of questionable decisions to cater to Maurice and a type of hockey that isn't currently yielding the type of results you you wanted, and that's being you know under that's accepting the fact that they were going to take a step step back this year. You're still you're still. The, the expected step back is now two steps back right now. And it, it's, it's, it's really frustrating because 
it didn't it doesn't have to be like this there there's they easy did not small... have to sign eric stall to play national hockey league games this year and i don't care about veterans in the room all of that that's great. You have Patrick Hornquist for this kind of role. You don't need more of them. You already signed Mark Stahl, yeah. and Mark Stahl is barely at this point. Barely at this point. Passable enough to where I'm not yelling at it every game. His numbers are fine. They are not terrible. Compared to Eric Stahl's, obviously nothing is that as terrible as Eric Stahl's. But He's... you make these decisions, and Eric Stahl is playing over not just Rudy Balsers, but anybody else? Heponiemi, yep. Well, look, and I look at Heponiemi and Balser's numbers. They're not good relative to the team. Well, that's because they had to play with Eric Stahl, who is, again, maybe the worst player in the league in accordance with some of these stats. And Eric Stahl's had a great career. I'm happy that he wants to keep on playing. But the Panthers cannot play him every night. It's just not feasible. And because of their salary cap situation, because they're right up against it, because they signed other players they didn't necessarily need to sign when they had the options in-house or could have found somebody cheaper... You now have to play him every night, and it's if, a liability. And as we said, they're playing on the margins right now. And every little marginal decision, and Eric Stahl is a marginal decision, but a marginal decision that's showing up every night now because of what's happening with this team, it's costing them. And it maybe it doesn't cost them a playoff spot. Lord willing, it doesn't cost them a playoff spot. But it's costing them games they should be winning or getting points in, and they're not. And it's those kinds of decisions that when you make them, they build and build and build, and eventually they will cost you. And who doesn't think Rudy Balsers is getting a hat trick against the Panthers at some point this year? Who doesn't think that's going to happen? It's, it's ordained. So this is why I'm saying, and I'm not saying that the Panthers are instantly going to go to being the best team in the league if the stalls were sent to the shadow realm. That's not what's going to happen. But they would be a better team I mean, if both stalls didn't play. It's just a fact. I mean... With yeah, I mean, I I think that they would they would win with so many close games and so many games. How much different does this team look if Matt Kierstead, who I wasn't really a huge fan of, but his numbers are pretty good this year? How much better does this team look if Matt Kierstead's playing every night? How much better uh, does this team look if Alexi Heponiemi's playing every night? I mean, it just allows them, Mark, and not Eric Stahl. It just allows them to do more things. It allows them. I mean, and it's not just that, but it's if Maurice is get is if Maurice is doing this, and Maurice, then Maurice does have the control. Then Maurice is fighting the system and structure that they should be doing. You know, he's able to like if if Eric Stahl was such a great team player, they would have waived him, or he would have came up with an injury to give them a couple weeks or whatever to figure out to see if somebody else gets hurt or or what to buy them some time. Like the fact, like who's who's taking Eric Stahl off waivers after he just played his 1300th game? He's old as shit. He's playing bad as shit, and he's got a family and everything, and he's well respected and well liked. No GM is going to make him live the rest of the year away from his family or make his family move to be a 13th forward and get picked up off waivers. It wasn't happening. And as certainly, he, they don't want to send him to Charlotte because they don't want to pay his full salary. And and. The, well, I mean, who cares? Who cares? Like, I mean, we can't, I don't, that's not, that can't enter the equation whatsoever. The, it shouldn't. The, the, the thing should be, we, we had our pro scouts target Rudy Bowsers for a reason. The reasons show in the data that he's above a league average finisher and he's good on the four check. He's good at winning pucks back and, and moving pucks to teammates and retaining and getting possession. Those two things are what floor is. 
One of those things is what Maurice is trying to do with the four check and getting pucks back and everything. And finishing is what kind of what they need. It's been 12 games. He was on pace for just under 30 points. Like, so what if you have to play, even if you play him on the fourth line? You know, who cares? That's still better than their usual fourth liners. It's still better than the majority of fourth liners in the league. You know, it was a it was a forced error that they because because Maurice would rather have stall. He would rather have a forward that doesn't offer any potential and is a liability, but plays his way. You know, will you know advocate and be a guy in the room for him to get by and and all of that. So it's it's really frustrating because if that's the case. How do we expect them to, to change their finishing? If that's the head coach's idea of how forward should be, how are we going to get? How is he going to re- respond quick enough to this data to help them better secure their playoff spot this year? I mean, because I don't. I it's going to be brutal year if they're fighting for the second wild card or the first wild card spot all the way through. You, you want some breathing room especially if you are carrying a minimum lineup every night. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and, and like, again, we haven't even gotten to the declare discussion, which what are they going to do at that point? Because somebody's making way. And, I mean, I don't, I don't know I mean, what they're going to do at that point. Given how Hornquist has, has been, you, you look and the cap space that they are going to have next year without much to do with it. I mean, next year, basically the cap space is going to be used to try to move Bobrovsky. Everybody knows it. That's what the big cap space is for. There's no big UFAD, and they're pretty good at finding their D solutions, lower costs. They might only have to spend two million, two point five, or something to I get mean, us, you know, well, a second. I, I mean, I, I think we should spend some time talking but, positively about some players because we yeah, should I do mean, that. Yes, we can. But to me, I don't, I don't care. Like, there, Florida's at the point where, right now, the biggest thing is they have defensemen who are stepping up. They need a D to step up. They have defensemen that's stepping up. Their their forwards are playing competitive. Their forwards are, you know, you have Kachuk playing really well, which was something, you know, could he continue a hundred point pace? Yes, he can. That's great. You I know, mean, like let's move. Forge, let's, let's 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 say not, this for a start. Let's not waste this. This is Barkov's tenth year. You got to like, you know, you have this good stuff. So th- it's very alarming that they're sh- that they are not adjusting based on their personnel. They're not tweaking, and I'm not asking for big, large, wholesale changes. They're not tweaking their systems and stuff to the personnel. They're not, you know, creating enough offense. They're, you know, they're not. They're, they're they brought Ekblad back without finding somebody who can play with Ekblad. Because they didn't or want to Montour. break up the other two pairs. Event, yeah, but, but I mean, eventually it's going to be Montour, and then you basically have Montour playing the best hockey ever, and you're going to give him a, a partner that's going to be an anchor. How is he going to continue to get, be the best, to play the best hockey? And you need him to play the best hockey this year and next year. I mean, it, I'm, I'm about what can this team do to get better? Because I don't like the things that they're doing good are expected good, should be good. I don't have to worry about it. Like it, I'm, I expected more horror to be to be good. Obviously not this good, but it will regress. It will come back down. But I expected them to to be able to to car wash Mahora because 
they're set up to do that. They're set up to get these big, nice possession metrics and everything for guys that they they fo- focus on. And their focal point are on defensemen like Mohora, Montour, you know, Ekblad, Forsling, you know, these guys playing this certain way. And so, you know, it's good. It's great. I'm happy about it. But it's like, okay, you got a defenseman off waivers. Let's leverage that more. Why, why can't we take the team a little further? Um, and that's what I'm, I'm focused on. You know, there are, you know, the finishing, the, some of the structure stuff, like those are things that need to be changed, need to be updated. And they did in the, in the summer. And I'm worried about, um, you know, the, the idea that we're just going to wait till next year and that from, from the Kachuk trade until the end of this year, it's just been, it was accepted that this time will just be time to kill almost. And that all they have to do is just training camp, like you called it training camp, Maurice's extended training camp of keeping games close, just getting used to it, keeping the positive momentum. I mean, after an attitude, after every game, it's just complimentary. We played the right way. Things will start coming, blah, blah, blah. Like, is that all this year is going to be? We're getting close. I mean, how many games have they played? They have played... 15 games. 15 games and we said at 15 20 games they need to be they need to you know be in a good spot they're hanging they're tied with two other teams in their division for the last wild card spot it started a lot, of, a lot of teams in this league right now are mid but you can make yeah, arguments and, that somebody's going to be breaking out and busting out soon and right. the way the and panthers if, are playing i'm not sure they're designed to go on the kinds of tears they did last year right and and, and they play the easiest schedule in the league by many metrics. A lot of those games are on the road. Let's be fair. They're a better team at home. But a lot of those teams, again, you should be beating them and you don't. And those are your easy games. Last year, the Panthers fattened up because all the bad teams they played, they destroyed them and were not great against the best teams. But because they beat the bad teams so consistently, it doesn't matter. But now, your, your margin for error is tighter. And that's why I'm saying these little things that they can do to give themselves wider error bands, and that means slight structural tweaks. Not playing with stalls. Okay, if you're going to have to play Mark Stahl, just don't play Eric Stahl. If you do those things, and you You give yourself a little room for error, more room for error, I should say, what this means is you're not going to play on the margins every night. You're not going to be losing the games like you do to Edmonton and Philly, which are games you should be winning. I mean, I think they're at the point where it's like, okay, Mark Stahl can't play, Eric Stahl can't play. Like, they're, they're not – first of all, I, I fully acknowledge they're not going to do this. But they should. They should be they should be calling up, you know, having Hepo Niemi play for Stahl, let Levchi continue to play in the AHL, but bring him up eventually, you know, as an option. Um, you know, they need to have Kanunen play. Like, I mean – at this point, he's playing really well in the AHL. Him and Ludwig are playing really well in the AHL. Uh, I think Kanunin's old enough, has enough pro experience and stuff. Like, maybe give him another weekend or something. But at a certain point, you have to create a cutoff date because it you need to try other options. You need to you need to have more hope and more pos- and more ch- chance of a different outcome by having different inputs. And they have to do something. They're not making. They don't seem to be making changes on penalty kill, on special teams. I mean, 
I will say this. I don't know if they listen to us, but they listen to Jack Han because as soon as he was talking on the podcast about the one thing they could do easy on the penalty kill to get better success, which was, which was have a guy play the middle bumper guy in the middle, they started to kind of do that a little bit. Like they started to have the weak side guy on the diamond shade in and favor the inside a little more. Um, but it's still, you know, there's, they're not tweaking things and they're not making these changes. And at this point, they're 15, 20 games in, you are on track to be fighting for third, fourth in your division with four teams, five teams maybe. And you're probably only going to get one wild card spot. So, you know, you need to start quickly separating from the pack because we Florida Panthers fans know how hard it is to make up ground later in the season when you need to win and you need other teams to lose and teams try to play for overtime points to make sure that if they lose, it doesn't count. It doesn't hurt as bad by picking up an extra point or something. Can I also say this because I think it's worth mentioning. They are where they are right now with at the start of the season, Gus Forsling was playing out of his mind. And when Ekblad was out, Brandon Montour played totally out of his mind levels of good. And I want to apologize to Brandon Montour. I underestimated you, and I, well, guess I have to say I'm sorry for that. I, 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 don't, I don't think that's necessarily true, because I, I, I think everybody should contextualize Montour's increased productivity with the fact that he's been getting 10-plus more minutes and been getting the top prime scoring chances on the team this is power play five on five i mean every time he touches the puck that means four people on the ice for the panthers just work their ass off to set him up on a platter like i mean i'm kind of exaggerating and using hyperbole a little bit but that's kind of how it's been so given that it's no i it's no surprise to me that he's in the top three or whatever for defenseman points because he's playing 30 minutes a night, getting every prime opportunity to score and drive points. What's not surprising to me is he's still borderline top four defenseman when it comes to playing off the puck defensively. Uh, you know, he's really good at reading when to jump this year, and he's, uh, I think, made enough changes to. to on like when to jump and when not to jump, I, I'm happy it's with. It's definitely his, better. It's definitely yeah. better than it has but been. What he, what he still, what I don't think is ever going to improve really at this age. So this is why they need to get better defensemen to drop him back and insulate him more. Is when he he loses coverage so much, and he puck watches so much, and his feet are turned the wrong way so much, um, in zone. And it is why you see a lot of goals in those face-off dots. A lot of times, it's his, he's got the back turned to the wrong guy, and that guy's open for a one-timer or a shot or something. And this is or why, up when you play Mark Stahl, these things get yeah. you know but, elevated a bit. And, yeah, I, I mean, and going back to that now, who's playing with Mark Stahl? That is such an important question. Um, because at that point, you can, only, you can only babysit that for so long before it becomes progressively detrimental to the production of the team. Like, I think you said it 
I don't know if you said it earlier in the podcast, but I know you said it to me before we started recording. Look at Montour's numbers. I know the with or without you numbers are what they are. But his numbers when he plays with Mark Stahl and when he doesn't play with Mark Stahl are ludicrous. And look, at some point, these decisions are for the betterment of the team because also Mark Stahl can't play 82 games. You know? Eric yeah. Stahl cannot play every so- game every, every single night. So I don't know when that's going to happen when things change. Maybe it's when they inevitably LTI Patrick Hornquist to get Duclair back on the roster. But you can't be playing these guys every night. And if you don't, if you start to blood in some of these guys, look, losing Rudy Balser sucks, but in the end, they've got players in the system that can play and deserve a chance. Like Hepo Niemi was their best player in the preseason. I didn't mind his game when he was up. But literally anybody else, again, Levchi, Looking pretty good yeah. right now in the AHL. Every not, time I look not at the Denisenko, man. Not Denisenko. For his for his sake, just trade him. Just let him go play with Chicago or some other AHL team. I think he's got like two points or something in eight I think games. It's three. Oh yeah, it's but it's not good. Three in twelve I mean, games. I mean, when when everybody else it, who's playing and is a decent pro- forward prospect for the Panthers is doing. Heponiemi's uh, got good numbers. Hutzko's got good numbers. We're seeing yeah. good numbers from Levchi, as you said. Every time yeah, I look I mean, at the checkers feed, Levchi's scoring. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, and Patrick Giles isn't doing that great, but you know, we kind of expected a little <laughs> a reverse. Sordiff is on. not terrible. Yeah, but I mean, like Denisenko, if. The, I mean, they're not going to get anything for him, but at this point, just save his hockey career by moving him somewhere that someone's going to take a vested interest in, in him, and he might be willing to listen. If I don't know what's going on, but it's clearly just over with. Yes. Well, um, also, you can use that to get, I don't know, another young defenseman who you may want to try to use. I don't know. I mean, I'm just... Yeah, like, or the... maybe somebody down the line, or maybe you just get a second round or a third round pick for him or something, but, like, you know... At this point, he's not going – unless things turn a complete 180 degrees, he's not an option this year. And let me just check cap-friendly. I think he's an RFA he's after He's an RFA after this year. You're correct. So, And he's definitely not signing anything. He'll go back to Russia and make millions rather than do anything with Florida. So, um, you know, I – I think that it's time to just get what they can for him by the trade deadline. Um, you know, whatever that is. I, I don't. I don't think you're going to get a defense. I don't think you're going to get a defenseman unless it's like him, Gildan, a second. You know, I think you're going to have to package him with a bunch of stuff to get. You know, somebody like a Denisenko. Probably, uh, but sucks. I mean, I, it, it does that his development has gone the way it is. But we're not saying this because we want to be mean to the stalls. We're saying this because. If you're playing on the margins, as the Panthers are doing, and every game this season for the Panthers has been on the margins, if you're going to do that, you need every little marginal benefit that you can get. And when you play the stalls, that's marginal against you, and the margins, they build up over time. And once that happens, it leads to losses. And everybody in the league right now is playing on very, very tight margins. And the Panthers don't want to be on the wrong side of it. And as I said, any single thing that you can do to get yourself away from those margins is probably for the best. It was two games ago. Uh, and obviously it's, it's small samples. Cause I think it's only like 12 or 14 or something goals against on the penalty kill, but it's like 62% of the penalty kill goals are when Mark Stahl is on the ice. 
And you know, Eric, I didn't do, I didn't manually check Eric Stahl because after I saw that, I was like, oh, I'm just done. It confirmed enough of what I wanted to see. Um, but you know, like if you play close hockey and these guys are on the ice and constantly getting hemmed in, constantly liabilities, and and getting scored on, you know, these little changes matter. But also, I think what was so positive and helped everybody play well last year was. If you were playing well, you played. If you weren't playing well, you took a set a seat. You, you, they, you know, and they let somebody else see, play. And you know, if they got the, if they played well, they they didn't. And I mean, they got they they didn't come out. And if they you know struggled a bit, you you'd get another turn to come back in. And you know, it fosters competition. It fosters guys playing harder in practice. It fosters guys performing better in games. I think it's detrimental to the team that the some of these players are constantly trotted out after it's I mean it's plain to everybody in the room they do film together and everything that these some like when these when this stuff happens it's because a D was out of place or you know he fell or you know he pinched at the wrong time or he just got flat out burned I mean how many times have you seen Mark Stahl get flat out burned or Eric Stahl not be able to back check because he's he's so slow um and, and yeah and he's playing center which again they rely so heavily on their centers um it's just you can't and they're strong at center they're intentionally hurting their center depth uh to to do this I think you know they'd be much better having Cousins or Law Strain in play center I mean for sure for oh, sure. anybody, anybody, like Roberto Luongo playing in the Hockey Hall of Fame scrimmage. Oh, man. Well, that was awesome, by the way. I gotta yeah, say, the, congrats the, to Lou. Um, I forget who, there was, a, there was a little video of, like, Lindros, Luongo, and Renberg getting on the ice because they played on a line together, and and it was titled The Leo, The Lou of Doom. The Lou of Doom. The Lou of Doom. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. That's pretty, so, pretty cool. cool. He would be better at this point than Eric Stahl. Yeah. I mean, and that's I mean, saying something. Yeah, I mean they both move move about the same. So oh, yeah, uh, I mean it's it's ridiculous. And but I mean more importantly, it's not like just looking at this, just saying it's a stall thing is mainly just the vit- is not a vitriol at them. It's more of a personification of the fact that it's plain as as day right now after fifteen ga- games that they need to improve the quality of the roster and the depth. Jack Hahn basically said that, that all of what is happening with them is down to the fact that your personnel is not as good, and that's Eric Stahl and Mark Stahl largely. Yeah, and, you know, you, you for, forward-wise, there's internal options. Defense-wise, there's possible internal options, and they've shown that they can find defenders to plug and play who are cheap and available easily from other teams. So, uh, you know, at a certain point, it's they need to, in, if they're, if it's, if the trade market or whatever, it's hard to get any traction or whatever, they need to start, you know, Hepo Niemi scores the game-winning goal and is set down. Obviously, it's for cap reasons and stuff, but Hepo Niemi has shown he's an NHLer and he can play and be productive on this team right now in the system with everything not changing it's silly not to have him play it's especially now you lost bowsers 
And, you know, you, you lost a guy who can play up and down all four lines. That's something Hepo Niemi can do. So, um, you know, and Kanunin and Lundvik, I think they're both ready. I mean, what do you, what's the extra 20 games at the AHL really going to necessarily do? I think that they're over, I think that they're over Carlson. Um, which is unfortunate. Which is unfortunate. And I think that they're also over, uh, I, I'm personally over Kierstead. Uh I mean, I know his numbers are, are great and everything, but he is a wet noodle on defense. And it, it, you just, he's not going to ever I be. I mean, Matt Kierstead's better than Mark Stahl at this point. Uh, I would say no, and I'll explain that. Mark Stahl, like last game he handled against Edmonton, he handled a two-on-one well. I mean, he had help because the uh, the Oilers played the two-on-one terribly. They both were level with each other, and they went straight down the ice, and all Mark Stahl had to do was back up, back up. But what he did really well was time going down and blocking the pass. Stall, I mean, Stahl can do that stuff still in isolation when he, when people don't make him skate. He can still make those shot, make those things and stuff on the penalty kill, block those passes from the corner and things like that. Kierstead can't. That's what Kierstead's really bad at. Um, he's always on the wrong side of his checks. He's always getting his stick lifted and losing battles. He's, I mean, Kierstead is a fine passer a fine thinker, nothing too special, but he's an exceptional skater, and that's why he got an NHL contract. But at this point, I've seen enough to know that the defensive aspect, he's not an option this year to me, I, especially when I see better out of Carlson, and I know Kanunin, Also, Josh Maher drops in out of the sky and yeah, he's doing. Right, with, with and somebody who's not noted to be exceptionally good defensively and stuff. And, you know... You know, they've been able to make Montour. He's not good defensively, but he also is more competitive. He's he's not a wet noodle. I mean, Montour picks up sticks when he's there. It's Sometimes he gets a little spacey and he's not there. If that was the issue with Kirstead, like Kirstead's positioning's great. He just doesn't win battles, doesn't can't lift up sticks. You know, he gets out-muscled. So he's not an option this Did year. Did you like what Jack Hahn said? Uh, as to why he thinks the Panthers are able to find these defensemen off of waivers or off the scrap heap and turn them into something really good. Yes, yes. And and, and I agreed with a lot of it. Uh, but what I think is, you know, taking it one step further is, okay, what has that done for the team and how can they how can they refine that profile they're looking for? Because what has it led to? A lot of guys who, um, if they're stationary in the D zone, um, or you know they make mistakes, or they aren't good at finishing, and those are the two big areas Florida needs to improve. So it's like, okay, we know we can find guys with these skill sets and do this. How do we find guys that do that stuff but with better finishing? You know, like how do we find a Montour? instead of just a Mohora all the, you know, how do we do that more regularly and do that with forwards too? Um, mm. I, I think is, is the, is the big key, you're, you're you know, not, because you're like, wrong. you know, like you're getting, you're, you're, I think, 
you know, you want a little, you want to figure out, okay, you got these skater profiles, but how can you optimize them to be, to, to give you more dynamic players? Um, and because sometimes you get dynamic players, you get the Verhage, you get the Montour out of that. Duclair. Yeah, you get a Duclair and stuff. But how, how can you find, um, you know, how can you do that more often with younger players with less track history in the NHL? How, how do you do that? Um, because I think when you look at the draft picks, the cap space, where they're going to be going, it's going to be incredibly vital for them to do that. Oh, yeah. You know, how, how are they going to be like, okay, we, the, we know that the straight line speed, we know that the guys who who take a step forward versus taking a step back. We know the guys who are very instinctual, who play well and communicate well on the ice are good, you know, have good, you know, personalities and stuff and, and are coachable. That's who we want. You know, how do we find that in drafted players and how do we make sure that they have the dynamic skills to translate to the NHL and level up through juniors, college, AHL, et cetera, so that they're playing meaningful minutes to us and impacting. You know, um, I, I think a good case study, you know, they, they should they should look at who they've had success with. Wall Stranden, you know, he's not, I don't think he's as dynamic as a Montour or, um, uh, you know, a Duclair or something like that, but he's very close to, to being, you know, uh, pretty dynamic in in a lot of ways, but he just he has more finish this season. He's been their most consistent forward, night in and night right. out, arguably. So, yeah, so I mean, I definitely agree with uh, everything. They they clearly ha- are very efficient, and they have good logistics and good process and good data mining and and maintenance and you know hygiene and all that stuff to to be able to top to bottom continually find these players that that fit um and that's why i get upset when they throw one away in bowsers yeah the argument can be you know they can just get another one uh but you had one that you know maurice was using on the top line you know and, and all this stuff and maybe he started to sour on him but there's just as many games that he trusted him and he played well as he was untrusted and played bad. Can I make one more point before we briefly shift on to other things around the league and then we wrap yeah, this up? Because yeah. you made a point to me about, and I think it was also on Twitter, about, because we we've talked about the forwards in general, we haven't talked about them specifically, it's the pairs of forwards that you liked. Oh, uh, yeah. Saying, I think Barkov I think, with Kachuk, I think it was Bennett and Losterain and, and Lundell and uh, yeah. Reinhardt. And, and I'll give Maurice credit. He's, you know... He's Anton only, Lindell's the second center now. Yeah, and he and he he'd only took him about two more games to figure that out himself. That those were kind of the the pairings that you know, and and that's what this league has become. It's become a duo league. You're not having you know we just talked about the you know the made a legion of doom reference, but you hardly um, ever really see that unless it's the you know a third period or the playoffs and stuff you see more of that hero line unless but, you're uh, unless you're basically you know the stars with Pavelski, Hints and Robertson or any of these other teams that had like you know the line perfection yeah. line things like that it's just it doesn't it's pairs you're you are correct yeah i mean we see and, a lot more line juggling than we used because, to because yeah i mean because you see 
you see a lot more. I think the forward skill, just like in goalies and just like defensemen, it's 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 become so high, and the spread of talent has become a lot thinner that you get more guys who can play up and down a lineup. So to really maximize that ability and to use them as guys to get people going or to, to kind of be this, you know, kind of the, the different flavor to get to wake a line up and stuff, you start to see coaches kind of use these wingers more that way. And it's like, okay, we have these everyday players who, you know, we need to give consistency and they have great chemistry with this player. So we're not going to break them up. But then we have this other player who has tons of great chemistry uh, and can play with anybody. In the past, they would have just been stuck on the line with somebody all year and maybe not have gotten all the chances they deserved. So it's, it's, it's really beneficial, and it shows that in some ways Maurice is capable of, one, reacting quickly enough. I thought he did that in enough time. And two, is progressing in a more modern way with how he's utilizing a lineup than he did even a year and a half ago in, in Winnipeg. Yeah. And and but, I think that that's, those were, I mean, yeah. it, it's a good sign because now Barkov is playing with Kachuk, which we wanted to see. And that line yeah. has been obviously really good. And Sam Reinhart looks a hell of a lot better now that he's playing with Anton Lindell because there's built in chemistry there. And I think you're getting a lot yeah. more out of a four checking line with Sam Bennett and Los Duranen, as opposed to Lundell and Los Duranen, for instance. Yeah. Right? I, and, yeah, and to, in my opinion, when Duclair comes back, I'm putting Duclair with Kachuk and Barkov. I'm moving Verhage to the second line with Lundell and Reinhardt and, and, um, and going from there. Then you have Colin there. White on the third line. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I, I do want to say I've been a little harder on Nick Cousins than maybe I should have been. I think Colin White's been pretty much what they thought they were going to get from him. I haven't really disliked his A Winberg type, yeah. A yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I yeah. think that he's been pretty much what I thought he was going to be, and that's been pretty solid. You know, Cousins has had some games where I've been like, yikes, buddy. And then there have been other games where I'm like, I get it, but the, the contract is what yeah. worries me here because now they, they gave out it's, that money yeah, the, and they're up to the it. second year. I just don't understand the second yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. But, but I, yeah, also it's like, you know, okay, White, White's proven. I'll, at the beginning of the year, I was saying, you know, you add Colin White and Nick Cousins' cap hit together, you can get a pretty decent defenseman with the leftover of, you know, just, you know, having the 750 for like Hepo Niemi or whatever. And, um, or, or, you know, the 800 from Bowser's or, or whatever it would be. But, um, you know, I think White's proven himself. He's ARB eligible next year, so you know that'll take care of itself, I think. Um, however, it goes. But with Cousins, you, ha- you got him next year. He's kind of already shown himself to be an extra piece. Um, you know, where you know Maurice is like, I would take the dying corpse of Eric Stahl uh, on some nights over Nick Cousins um, and things like that. So it's like, oof. That kind of and, that, and that's the kind of thing that we talk about when we talk about marginal decisions. Like, if you add them up, they matter. And if you don't have their cousins, I'm not saying he's been so bad that, like, Eric Stahl level bad. But if you don't have him, look at the cap space you have so you don't have to waive Rudy Balsers. Or you don't yeah. have to make these other decisions that you then have to make because you have this contract. Because right. you flew but, too close to the sun. But again, you know, if he's a if he's if Nick Cousins is your 13th forward... I think, you know, that's fine. Uh, and for what they're trying to do and everything, I can see how but that fits But he's not in. their 13th forward right now. Yeah. He's their ninth I forward. Think, I think they're planning on him by the end of this year to be that 13th forward. I would I hope mean, so. Because 
I mean, eventually they're going to get in the playoffs and salary cap's not going to be an issue and they're going to have 14 forwards, 8D, et cetera, on the roster. And I think what they're – I mean, and, and I agree with what they're trying to do in theory. I I just would be more I, – I wouldn't say reactive, but I would be more – I would be optimizing and responding to what I'm seeing more than they are now. But I like the idea of, hey, we're going to – we're going to be playing. We're going to keep. We're going to be playing hard. We're going to be playing close all year, um, you know. And we're going to be, you know, the stall is going to be taking a lot of games early on. Fine, but I hope that means that they're doing that intentionally because they're going to be calling up Pepo Niemi. They're going to be calling up Levchi. They're going to be calling up Logan Hutsko. They're going to be calling up uh, Kanunin and, and Ludwig and stuff. And these guys are going to be playing down the stretch. These guys are going to be playing into the playoffs and, uh, you know, into next year, those are, um, the guys who, who should be taking the next step. And they're just, they're trying to peak at the right time versus last year where, uh, they kind of, they peaked in January, arguably. Yeah, they didn't manage the game. They didn't manage the calendar down the stretch. And I think they're basically trying to play down the stretch game management hockey all year. I don't and kind of I I and kind of build into some things and build into some internal options and you know be more consistent. They have than... been willing to give like when they when they saw Heponiemi, who was the first call up, which was nice to see. Like they, I mean, I'm not the Kierstead guy. I would have been Lucas Carlson, but they gave some of these guys a chance sooner than I thought. Look, yeah. we, we've said our point about the stalls, but they did give those guys an opportunity, and it's not that the management of them has been you know has been bad. Like they again, they got Josh Bahura two days before the season started, drops out of the sky as a sixty percent expected goals percentage. Like there's a lot of good, but the little things that they can do better will get them off of the bubble, you know, and as I as I always say, you gotta focus on what you can control. I'm not really focused on what's going on with some of these other teams on the bubble. You know what I mean? Like I don't care really what's happening with the Maple Leafs. Focus on what you're right. doing. Fo- yep. I don't care what's happening with the Lightning. Focus on what you're doing. You know, the Red Wings are now bad again. The Sabres are now bad again. All that's, you know, whatever. Good. But focus on you. Because in the end, the only, you, you don't want to be rooting for other teams to lose down the stretch. you you got to be, as you said, you have got to just control what you can control. Last year, they, I knew they were in the playoffs the first weekend of November. And the rest of the season was optimizing for the playoffs, which in many cases they didn't do. They're not at lucky this year. They're not Boston, who is 14-2 somehow. You know, they're not in the playoffs the first weekend of November. They're going to scrap for it. They'll probably still get in. But the way you do that is making those slight changes that turn these close losses or games that shouldn't be as close as they are into wins. That's basically what I think the, the point of this is to say. Because there's a lot of good going on here. You know, even if Barkov's only goals are on the power play, he's still playing really well. You know, Matthew Kachuk has been everything we thought he would be and then some. Like, okay, he's going to get suspended for stupid things like trying to eye-gouge Jonathan Quick. But let's be fair. Which I don't think he did. I, I don't either. But I'm going to make the, like, I get why they suspended him. But they got exactly what they were supposed to get with Matthew Kachuk. Like, everything they did with that trade has worked out beautifully. Poor Jonathan Huberto with what's going on in Calgary. I do feel kind of bad for him. But you look at that and you go, that's working out the way you thought. A lot of these signings, again, throw the stalls out for a second. You know, Colin White's worked out pretty well. You know, these guys, they're still, 
you, we worried about what the game would look like for the Panthers under Paul Maurice. And what we're seeing is a lot of what he said he was going to bring. You know, they're not as much of a rush team as they probably should be, but it's not totally gone. They're still a fast team. They are not a bad possession team. I saw, you know, in June when he was hired, people were talking about what that team was going to look like. And nobody thought that Paul Maurice's Panthers were going to be the third, second, or first best possession team 15 games of the season. Nobody thought that. I didn't think that was going to happen. So a lot of what he said he was going to do, he's done. He has made decisions that I disagree with, obviously. We vehemently disagree with some of them. But he's also done things that have been very good. It's just a matter now of taking that step to being, you know, you're winning two out of every three. And these close games that you're not winning, that you should arguably be winning, you now just go and win them. And we have less concerns about, you know, the stalls if, you know, these decisions are made now. And then, look... What's going to happen in the playoffs when the stalls play if the Panthers get there? They're going to get targeted and roasted immediately. You know that's going to happen. So, again, give yourselves other tools in the toolkit. And in many ways, they're doing that, but they still have to improve in those ways. And if they do that, this team's going to be fine. But I don't, as I think the whole point of the show is to say, this team is unlucky in many ways, but they're making their own luck. And with a couple of tweaks and a couple of different decisions, some of that luck regresses for you, and suddenly you're now winning games you're not losing yeah. anymore that are on these margins, and you go on a five, six-game winning streak, and you're not worried about some of the things you're worried about right now. That's essentially wanna, what the whole point of this podcast is to say. I want to talk a little bit about the goalies. Um, we have not talked about them yet, and that's very interesting, again, how we are an hour into an hour and a half into this podcast, and we haven't really talked about the goalies. And it's just, I don't think it's been a focus, really. Because well, not... I, I think it's now a focus because I don't think Spencer Knight has been playing better than Bob, but I think he's playing more now because they need somebody to break out pucks. They need more help getting pucks out of the zone quicker because they're breaking down in zone. They're taking penalties because of because you know they're having trouble getting pucks back and out of the zone once they hit the end boards. And Bobrovsky has been better puck handling. He's gone out of the crease more, but he's not ever going to be good at it. And you know it's unfair to expect him to be. But when Knight's out there, he's very good at it for the most part. I mean, Edmonton was probably the worst game I've ever seen him handle the puck, and he wasn't that bad. Um, and you know, but he helps. He helps the skaters. He helps every defensive pair and every forward line, you know, go the right direction, get scored on less, and score more goals just by puck movement. And if they're both giving up a bad goal a game, you might as well do the goalie who's going to help some other weakness, some other aspect. Um, and so I think you're going to start to see Knight play more as long as he's not, you know, turning turning over the puck and getting goals against, you know, I think he's going to probably stay in the or, net. Or alternatively, you know, he's not giving up the horrible first goal on a, like, five shot, you know yeah, what I mean? I, he's been much better, but now it's more just in different moments. Like, he get he's getting beat from far away a lot. Oh, with the two no, Tyson with Mary no goals. Screen. I mean, yeah, with no screens. He's just getting beat because he's. I think he struggles 
with the like some of the faster, harder NHL shots, especially when he knows it's coming and the and the guy has time to pick. And you know, Barry was was able to get him moving. Like, okay, I want to shoot just inside the 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 left post. I'm going to move to the right a couple steps and step in and walk into it and blast it at that inside at that the inside of that post. And you know, they're able to beat him because he's still struggling. I don't want to say struggling, but he's still not a hundred percent up to. NHL shots are his normal shots that he can save. I, I still think... I think some of it is also, and you, again, it's something you've heard Goldie and Randy Moeller mention on the broadcast, and if they're mentioning it on the broadcast, you should very much take note of it. He is a very good goalie at stuff down low. When people are hacking at his pads, all of that is really good. But when you're going up those top corner shots, those high shots, you know, shoulder saves, that's where he gets beat a lot. And I think NHL teams are now seeing that because all of them have the data. And they're going, you know what? If Spencer Knight's playing, let's target him up as opposed to targeting him down. Because we know he's going to do well on, you know, the stuff on the ice when we're hacking at his pads, those wraparounds, because he's very calm and he's, you know, good mechanically. But that's one area where we can get at him. And that is what we saw it against Edmonton. And look, I think he's played pretty decently but also it was the same thing against the Ducks too when he played in that game when he got beat high multiple times and that's the kind of thing that you know teams are going to target and I, we're going to see more Bobrovsky like they were riding Spencer Knight because he was playing well and after that Kings game when Bob really did struggle you know they're going to play him again I wouldn't be surprised if we see him against the Capitals or he gets a run now but it's that kind of thing it's you know you're right about his ability to break the puck out. And if you're going to struggle in some of the ways that we are seeing, you might as well try to use your goalie as a quasi third defenseman. And that's one area I wonder how much goalies are going to improve upon, you know, kind of how like the sweeper keeper in, in soccer, the goalies who have to pass from out of the back. I wonder if we're going to start to see that becoming a pretty important skill set for goalies, particularly if you're going to play a certain way, because if Spencer Knight could pass the puck and help the breakout a little bit better, then that alleviates some of the issues the Panthers have defensively. Not all of them, he, but some. Yeah, and, and he can, but it definitely doesn't necessitate or doesn't get rid of the necessity to add, change, you know, get better defensemen. Oh, no, 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 absolutely. You know, but you, I'm just you, saying you it's basically want to have twist. I mean, if you could have, you know, go out and get a partner for Montour, then you have Forsling, Ekblad. And, and then you don't have to break pairing. up her and Gudis, which is working yeah, very well. And, and that's your third pairing, so they continue to get good matchups where they can just dominate and do their thing. I think you're really you, you got something there. And you add Knight and his puck moving, I think you got a really a, a, a pretty solid decor, which you know, solid decor is not how we started this year. So that would be a, a great improvement. Mm-hmm. I, I, I you know again, we're just at this point we're starting to get to the the first marker in the season where you kind of have to look at things and be like all right time to adjust we're looking at the lay of the land we're looking at the data this is what it's suggesting suggesting we just talked like an hour and a half about all that stuff and you know this is how we need to react and, but i and, think that that's pretty fair based on what we've seen from this team yeah. this is a team that's pretty good in a lot of ways 
They are not very good on the margins right now, and that's affecting their ability to win games. And if they improve on the margins, they tweak on the margins just a little bit. And again, some of it might be don't play the stalls, but also, you know, make slight tweaks to the way you do things on your breakout. Make slight tweaks in the things you're asking your forwards to do in certain situations. And those close losses and those shots that go directly into the crest on the goalie's chest, they start to lead to wins, and then you start to win, and now some of that pressure is alleviated, and you can relax a little bit as you add things to your game. Because all of these playing close game things are going to help if they get into the playoffs. They're going to. They are a much better close game team than they were a year ago, because last year they didn't know how to play in close games, because every game was a blowout in the first period, usually. And that is helpful, but this team could use a 5-1 win at one point. Not every game has to be a 1 or 1 plus an empty net. So if you, if you give them a little bit more room on the leash, maybe that adds a little bit of confidence to this team and can address some of these, again, they're minor, but they could become major depending on how far we go along with this. And that definitely can, you know, can make this team better. I'm not, I, I, this team's not bad. When you're a 60% possession team at even strength with Paul Maurice as your head coach, you're not bad. But getting better on the margins in a league where everything's on the margins is kind of fairly important. Uh, other things I mean, are... Oh, yeah, on. I just want to say, like, I mean, yeah, speaking of margins, like, the division point spread is just ridiculous. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, Currently. It's, and, unless you're Boston you know, or you, Ottawa. And, By the way, can I mention this? Everybody who was talking about how the Senators are going to be better than the Panthers this year, guys, come on now. I understand that you're getting excited on the Twitter machine and the Senators had a fun offseason, but, I mean, I watched the Panthers hang 60 shots on them. and They're just, they're just hyped up. Cause they're the Senators, man. They don't, ha- they, they don't have Melnick anymore, so just let them have their fun, but don't take them seriously, no. just like most other Canadian fans. Uh, I want to say that just the rest of the division. Fans of like, Canadian teams. I oh, yes, say. but the, the spread in the division is what you would expect like Tampa's doing Tampa things but they're going to be fine Toronto's going through those ups and downs but they're going to be fine you know Detroit has not had great numbers and in the last couple of games they've actually looked like the Red Wings again I mean a lot of their players are hurt but I'm not worried about them but what what does stand out to me is that you know it's not a guarantee you know that some of these teams that are where they are on the uh on the on the totem pole are going to fade away you know what I mean so you're going to have a harder yeah, you, fight for a playoff spot than you did a year ago. You get, you get maybe one or two to fade. I mean, per conference. So, you know, you, you got to hope that it's not you. Um, yeah, pretty much. And, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think we definitely hit hit every every detail. What about – I just want to cover a couple of other things before we leave. Uh, oh, you know, you know, Barkov with that fucking turnover. That was – Oh, one of the rare times when he does that. I, but I think is that – I what I liked – I liked it, though. And, and I'll say why I liked it because he, the one thing that people want him to do more is is try to make things happen himself, uh, and he doesn't do think that way. And he because every he, they don't want him to. They they tell him to go out and make the team better, go out and cover for this, go out and do you know where you know he you want him to be more like a McDavid and just and Dreisel and just like. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go tie up the game. I'm going to do that. And he was trying to make something happen. And, you know, it, it didn't work. But I don't want to discourage him from doing that kind of stuff because that's what people have been asking for like two or three years for him to start doing. Like try to take it end to end. Try to do some moves and take it in yourself. 
um, because you are the best player. Mm. Um, and you know, not every time, but you know, when there's five minutes left in the, in a, in a game where you're down by one and you're trying to score and your team historically this season has been terrible at finishing. I, I, I can, I want him to be taking those chances in that situation. Let's go. Uh, let's go just quick other couple. You're right. The couple of quick other topics. Were, I wanted to talk about the, the, the flyers who are hitting back to earth. But finally, baby, Leo Carlson, that's that's my guy for them. I don't think th- I they're think probably he- not bad enough for Bedard at this point. Yeah. And I think I think Fantilli is probably especially because he's not European, going to have the upper hand for second overall. And I think I think Philadelphia has a shot of winning the third over the third overall lottery. So third, four, five, six, I think it's probably where the Philly's going to Philly's going to play or draft from. And Leo Carlson, man, would be a great pickup for them. There's some others, but... Whew, I mean, they... they're eventually falling back to earth. That's not surprising. But, hey, Carter Hart looked pretty, is looking pretty good. Good for him. He looks good. Um, you know, some of the young kids, like, I mean, Noah Cates is is the reason I watch Florida... Uh, not Florida. I always do that because they suck like Florida. I used to. Uh, the Flyers now, it, you know, I, I like watching Cates... Play. I like watching Farabee play. Obviously, Scott Lawton I'm, is. I'm uh, seeing a lot of Tippett tweets. Ah, uh, yeah, but I mean, that's because they don't understand that this is the same Tippett that has been around. They, he's just not guaranteed. He was just was never going to play 18, 20 minutes a night uh, okay. in Florida. But I mean, like he's he's doing. I mean, he's he's being an idiot on defense sometimes, and with his physical play and stick infractions and stuff. But I mean, he's really just playing fine. But he can't. He he gets so many chances, but he doesn't really unlock his shot the way he should. He he he's not as quick with it as he should be, or he's not as hard. You know, he doesn't shoot as accurate as he should be, and he just can't score. Oh, you know, it so like it, Panthers. Yeah, but I mean. It, I, I don't think the, the Panthers will not miss Tippett. I think the Flyers will get mileage out of Tippett, but I don't think he'll ever reclaim that potential he had as a 10th overall goal scoring. I don't think he'll ever be a goal scorer. He Maybe he'll get a season of 20 goals or something, but I think it'll be because the, the Flyers are basically trotting him out there all the time. Well, because they have to. But you yeah. know what? Hey, we're seeing Torch start yeah. to lose his mind. So I, I – I, I think Torts has been great. I I stand I still stand by my thing of saying if you brought in Torts last year, it it goes to probably ga- game it's a it's a hard fought game six or maybe even a game seven against Tampa in the second round, because uh, I mean his his team is going is he's it's a Torts team man he's getting he's getting more out of the lineup. Maurice is a coach that gets you you know, keeps it close and everything, and he's doing what he's supposed to do. Torts is a guy that gets rosters to overachieve. You know, he tightens it up defensively. He somehow gets some gets a lot of garbage goals and stuff like that. Um, you know, these guys have a long enough track record where you can kind of be like, this is the coaching impact that you should expect. I think Torts, I mean, because right now what Florida needs, he need, they need people to, they need to get yelled at. Like, the don't take, don't look off that shot. Shoot it. I know you're passing it to a guy who's going to take a one timer from a similar area, but the goalie that's giving the goalie in the defense more time to react and blah blah blah, and you know all this stuff. Or you know, it, 
I, I think Torts would have been good for them last year, would have had them prepared and, and all that stuff. Whether they kept them on for this year or whatever is a whole different thing. But they wouldn't have needed to hire Maurice in the offseason, that's for sure. They could have gone a different direction. But anyway, that's that's a whole different thing. But he's, I, I mean, there's a lot to like as, as far as there's more things going well in Philadelphia than should be, than was expected. And uh, you can only be happy about that. I'm still not watching as much as I used to. I'm still turning. I'm not finishing games for sure. And uh, they're going to start losing and losing by uh, wider margins as it continues. But they got good goalies. Uh, Provorov is uh, working his way to being tradable, uh, which is which is positive for them or being useful. Um, but I mean, you know, you have Tortorella sitting Ristolainen. <laughs> you know, did Ristol- he really? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's not playing that much. He's he's calling him out. He wants him, you know, he's saying that it, he wants him to stop running around for hits and to play more of, you know, in between, you know, keeping net side positioning instead of running to get hits and stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's been doing some good things. The problem is Ristolainen signed for a while, so he's going to be towards his problem for a while if he can't figure out how to play. Um, you know, and uh, some stuff like that. You know, Provorov is probably signed to a con. I don't think he's ever going to live up to that cap hit. Can they move him? Uh, you got a couple good de- goalies. Do you, you know? Can you can you get Sandstrom and Erson to the point where you can trade one of them or trade Hart to really uh, bring in more value to the team and stuff? There, there's some good things happening. Um, but again, you know, Morgan Frost is Morgan Frost. He's not really going to be a, I don't think a top nine option uh, on the team. You know, you still got Tippett. You, they got a lot. They got like Zach. I don't even know his name. McEwen or, oh man, he's he's rough and awful. And you know, you got Nick. Oh God, Nick should have never got a contract. Nick uh, No, no, he. I'm fine with him. Uh, Dave some french name not nick i'll bake you bell he, he's in the capitals no no, no he was a big four-year free agent signing he was oh. played for the oh. duck oh yes uh, nick delorier yeah delorier um yeah, yeah i mean he's dead. still i mean like so you know there's, there's still more, pain, there's more to be happy right. about than you thought but the thing yeah. you're mad at you're still mad at yep yeah, that makes sense. Uh, anything, I, 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 I'm gonna I, we're gonna end this by talking about the stupid Mitchell Miller nonsense, but we don't need to spend that much time okay. on it because I, I just I just want to say uh, there's uh, some fun teams out in the Pacific to watch, um, but I have I hate saying this I've really enjoyed watching Boston play. They wear those sick jerseys. Uh, Pooh Bear, Pooh Bear's back, and. Uh, you know they're they're a fun team to watch and and you know that, I I expected it I did year, expect it the year they're having is a year that Florida could be having it you know get be closer to that if they you know what did what did Boston do they backfilled really well and they were got everything out of their margins. You know, and when they, you know, they have the good vet leadership, they don't have bad, they don't have, you know, anchors of the leadership and stuff. I think there's a lot for what Boston's doing right outside of what we're about to talk 
talk. Oh yeah. Um, that Florida should. should well, also, I mean, Vegas is doing the same thing. I mean, you kind of felt like you know Bruce Cassidy is a really good coach. Gene knew he was going to get a lot out of Vegas, and he has. So. Yep, that would have been a nice coaching hire, wouldn't it? Oh that? yeah, I would have also taken Jim Montgomery over Paul Maurice, but you know Paul Maurice hey, is not doing terribly. You and me both, my friend. I'm, he's not doing terribly, but I mean those two are not surprising. <laughs> they're doing better. The credit to them. Look, they're doing what they did, and uh, I have to say because I do know a bunch of Devils fans, like it's unfortunate that it will end in the playoffs the way it's ended in the Panthers in the playoffs, which is they're going to not be able to do the same things they've been doing in the regular season because that system can get shut down. But I do feel happy for Devils fans because you do deserve nice things. You are not a bad fan base. And uh, it is very interesting to say uh, that the fans are chanting, sorry, Lindy, because they wanted to fire him after the first game. That was very – you know what? I will say this. You can say what you want about the state of New Jersey. That's North Jersey, not a South Jersey thing. But we are very self-aware, and and we might be irony poisoned. But as folks in New Jersey and all my Devils fans friend know this – but credit to them for admitting it and, and, and falling on their sword in a very funny way because, you know what, I mean, Andrew Burnett might get coach of the year because that's kind of the reason why the Devils are good now and they are getting a save. Which... I, will, I will take a Devils or an Islanders fan over a Rangers fan any day of the week except for my Rangers friend Ben. Uh, I, I, I have to say again, I know, I, I, have, I know more in my life, it's very funny how I know more in my life Devils fans and Islanders fans than I do Rangers fans that I'm close with. And, and the Islanders the too, fans. I mean, when the Panthers played the Islanders earlier in the season, those two games, I'm like, this team is cooked. They look terrible, and suddenly they win all these games in a row. It makes no sense. Yeah, they're getting saves. I mean, that that's a big Well, that's change. also but not a surprise. That team should be getting they're saves. They're getting saves, you know, Brock Nelson scoring, you know. Noah Dobson stepped up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, you draft defensemen. Look what happens. Oh, uh, if you get good defensemen, you can step up. I mean, that those are not surprises. Yeah. Um, I do have to say, it was very like the, the the Panthers game this year that was most enjoyable was watching them beat Carolina. It is very fun to watch them actually be good against them for once, as opposed to you know when they used to be awful against the Hurricanes and actually kind of outplay them. So that that was nice to see. Uh, yeah. I am interested to see what's going to happen on Saturday in the. Jonathan Huberto return game that's completely ignored because they're wearing the nice uniforms. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. that's, again, I have to give the Panthers credit because they did this when uh, Riley Smith and Jonathan Marcheseau and Gerard Gallant returned in 2018, it was, when they did the Wayne Huizenga retirement night. That was in air quotes to distract from who was coming back to Sunrise. And putting the first reverse retro game as that game, when those two are returning to the building, is is pretty clever on their part even if i know exactly what they're doing and by the way not not a fan of the miami dolphins in any way my football team is not very good but i do have to say that mike gesicki walking to the dolphins game yesterday in the reverse retro uniforms i just was like god damn it i have to buy one of those because it looks so good it's so good man yep Oh, yep, it's a good one. Uh, I, I, if I, I, I don't, as I said before, I don't know if I'm going to have it with a name on the back because anytime I buy a name on the back of a jersey, I immediately jinx that player, and I don't want to do that. So it might be blank, but oh, if you're if you're buying a Barkoff reverse retro jersey, I don't care if it's 500 bucks. I think it's it's a must. It it might be a must at this point. They look so good. They are spectacular, and just watching somebody wear one who wasn't a hockey player. And just some South Florida athlete just reminded me of just how good those uniforms are. And all the, all the, all the Panthers folk who are also Dolphins fans, obviously, were, were talking about that. And I was like, yeah, no, you're right. 
crap that these things are good. Uh, we have to end on the depressing Mitchell Miller situation because it was very depressing. Um, I've never it land speed record for backtracking on something that wasn't Elon Musk and his fake verified checks. Um, everybody said the piece about what they what the Bruins did, which is correct. And the only thing I'm going to add is NHL teams have to recognize that the bubble you used to live in is not a bubble you live in now because the biggest driver of that falling apart was not the pressure from in the league, although there was obviously a ton of pressure from in the league. The Bruins fan base turned on your team in a land speed record of terms of time. And I don't expect that from Boston fans in general who have their history. Bruins fans made the Bruins give up on that. That was a, a mainly a fan-driven thing. And that's credit to the Bruins fans who are very loud and very vocal. And they did what they needed to do and they deserve credit for that. But the Bruins on the whole botched this. I don't know who authorized the signing. All you, you have to talk to the family. You have to talk to the Myers-Carthers family. They didn't do that. That tells you everything you need to know. You can't believe what Mitchell Miller and his representatives are telling you because they're not telling you the whole truth. But obviously, they have a history of exaggerating the repentance and oh, uh, I, the, I've seen the work no done. No examples of regret in that situation at all. And then you have to read the, the Hockey Diversity Alliance post um from isaiah and it's just it's heartbreaking and you go you did not ask because if they had asked the myers Crothers family who are very available apparently anybody can dm them on twitter pretty much and get their say they are very willing to talk they would have basically said he doesn't deserve it and i don't think the bruins wanted to hear that and i think they just wanted to restock the cupboard do very hockey thing and Again, it's good that it fell on the sword. And apparently Logan Mayhew is also not eligible for the NHL. He was on the NHL contract. And the league has to figure out how they're going to make that work with the PA. Because clearly they didn't think of this either. Because, yeah. of course, the league uh, does uh, think of it. But, but there's, I, there's a diff, there's a, I, I mean, and again, it, not a difference in action or, or offense. But Logan has gone through the court system. I mean, so did Mitchell Miller. But, you know... It, Mayu has gone through the court system. I think Logan Mayu has actually more... made some sort of effort yes, to understand gone, what yeah. he did. And it's more, and there's more consistent, there's more consistent story and history around the work and what he's done and all those things. That, again, again, he's still not eligible for the NHL. No one's saying he should be, but um, like it is. I think to me, the worst parts of it was first the lack of repentance still, um, you know, just the, the complete pushback, the complete um, disdain for having to, to deal with this still from, from Miller's and Miller's camp. The idea uh, that a second chance is automatically given from those kinds of people, and you see it right. from a certain mindset that a second chance should be automatically given. No, second chances are earned. You got to do the work. It's hard work. Saying you're sorry is part of it, and you, you, you know what? You can't do that over social media or Snapchat or whatever it was. You go and you do it in person. We talk about in hockey being a man. Being a man is going and apologizing in person, and he didn't do that. So, yeah. look, I, and it, it's earned, and he hasn't earned a lick of it. I want to say the third so Obviously, thing, that wasn't a great phrase to use there, but you know what I mean. Yeah, and the third thing is that one 
I mean, they went out of their way to bring Krejci back. They've gone out of their way to keep their their leadership core in Bergeron. And they said, no, that's not worth doing. It, they asked the question, is what, why, why is it worth it? And, and that kind of stuff. They were public. I mean, they didn't eat, like they, the, the day that they, before it was announced that they were signing, Patrice Bergeron was on camera talking to Friedman, Elliot Friedman about Again, it. And, how stupid you know, do you have to be? to announce like, this the day before you're playing on hockey night in Canada in Toronto. And, and, and I, and, and I got to say that it is to me, it is, um, the, like your locker room is saying no, and you're, and you're going against them. Have you them. ever heard hockey players talk about another player like that ever? No, I, I mean, and, and I don't even think that they were taught like, and and I think that they w- were very smart in the way that it was handled and the way, you know, Bergeron talked about it and just about, you know, just coming from coming from the perspective of the culture he's worked to set up that the, that have won championships, how how the locker room is now, why they're off to a good start. You know, all of this is based on these principles, these core values working together in the same direction and in none and in no way, you know, does, does this Miller move fill check any of those boxes? So, you know, just from that perspective, it doesn't make sense to do, you know, you should have a process and the decisions you make should align to that process. And when the, when guys who like Bergeron's going to be in the hall of fame, respected one cop, won gold medals, you know, I'm pretty sure he's won the Memorial Cup. I mean, like, this guy has done everything at every level as a leader, and he's saying no. The disrespect to me is just <laughs> appalling, and it's the the same type of people who would do that are the type of people who wouldn't check into the facts, wouldn't call, the talk to the victim's family and the victim and stuff. And, you know, now because of this, we almost have, um, you know, you've now forced Isaiah to write a statement, which is getting shared, and there's now, uh, he has to you know, his there's trauma. a whole, well, there's, yeah, there's that, and and not only that, you're now creating these. Social media is disgusting in two ways. It's disgusting in the vitriol that Isaiah is going to have to face because of it, and it and the relive trauma, but it's also disgusting in the way that people are peddling his statement and stuff and pushing it and using it almost as, I don't know the best way, the word wording for it, but they're getting likes and retweets and attentions and making videos about this. And, you know, this is all off the back of his statement that he's kind of been forced to have to come out and say, I mean, it is like, if you like, you know, it's a rip, the ripple effect is, is wide for this decision and it was a decision that they didn't even i mean i'm happy they reversed it but they didn't even have the it's not even a decision that they respected enough internally on their side to stick with and to stand by because of how quickly they caved i mean you know and again this isn't to sign somebody who's 25 going to be on your team now like like this like obviously i'm not comparing situations because everything's so different and you know everything like that but 
it's not like the Evander Kane situation where a team's signing somebody to help on their cup run this year. And, you know, it's much more, I don't want to say reasonable, but it's much more like traditional hockey, why they would prior to prioritize it or do it. But why would you sign an ELC for an AHL player in the middle of the year, you know, who's not really going to be an impact player for what you're trying to do and, you know, all of that. And, and they I think not what's also make... frustrating for me, if you were in that dressing room, everybody knows this is a last dance kind of year for the Bruins. We know that it's probably close to over for this group. They need this distraction after starting a million and one. You know, you're going to foist this upon them when yep. they're already winning and they've already proven that this is going to be a cup contending year. They could do a last dance type thing. And now that the Miller situation, it's not over, but look at what they're doing after that. They're still winning. You know, that shows, A, the strength of what they're doing internally and a disconnect between the front office and a dressing room, which should not be that high for a team that is the way the Bruins, you know, are set up. But Yeah, I mean, I think what happened is, you know, there's scouts. And there's and there's probably scout scouts that oh said, well, we heard that there are scouts that, you know, out there that would still sign him yeah to this and, day and because like they don't get it so so you know and the scouts report to the director of scouting and you know they meet with um they meet with the assistant general managers and the general managers so it's you know whoever run who you know who do I blame lay the blame at it's the general manager first and foremost it's the head of scouting like 1b and then two is the president because he just has to you know he should be responsible for making sure that his hires you know respect the know that this is coming and when he knows this is coming he's got to be like okay y'all did you do all of your due diligence before you did this yeah but i think what happens is once you get the general manager sign off that contract can be filed and then at that point the, the the horse is out of the barn and and that you know they're already there. So how do, how does this happen without due diligence? Is the general manager didn't say, hey, like did we contact the family or whatever? The general manager probably in a fifteen minute meeting or like in one of their weekly calls or something, you know, was brought, hey, this guy, you know, these are the stats. We want to do this, and then you know they 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 got the deal done and, and signed the contract, and it was just like, yep, we talked to you know. Yep, we talked to him about this. This won't be an issue. Don't you know? You know he can be helpful in this or it that. Makes, but they had been planning on this for months. So yeah. nobody at any point when they were taking him around Boston thought, "Hey, wait, has he done this yet?" And that's the and that is a mindset that has got to change because even if inside that brain trust they weren't thinking about it, you know who was? Everybody else, including. The people in hockey who are desperate to, you know, at times to cuddle up to teams because they need the access, even they're like, what the hell are you doing, guys? Why are you doing this? And when you get yeah. those kinds of people, the people who are, you know, the, the people who have to trade sometimes some things that I don't think they would love to do for the access and that all of these things that you need in modern sports journalism, and they're going, guys, what are you doing? Why, you know, that's where it falls completely flat. And we're, what we're going to see now, what I would hope we see going forward, is again, teams doing due diligence on this in the draft and figuring out, like, okay, 
if this is going to happen, because it will happen again, we all know this, right? You need to, and also players out there, if you do something stupid, like really stupid, you know, leading into your draft year or your draft plus one, draft plus two, do not be stubborn about this. Though, is, I mean, I hope nobody fakes, you know, sincerity, but it, because we can see through that. But if you are genuinely sincere about apologizing and learning from things that have gone wrong and things that you did wrong, People are willing to forgive you, but you got to do it and you got to put in the effort. And Mitchell Miller and his people did absolutely none of that. And the worst part is of how flimsy it was. Everybody figured it out instantly. A complete mess. Not going to be going, okay? It's just, it's not going to work. And I'm again, the league's got to figure out safeguards against this going forward. And again, they also announced this on the day when Gary Bettman is having a press conference. It's so stupid. It's just a complete lack of any sense of tact or sense of planning. It was all done with all these pitfalls, and they thought they could get away with it, and you can't get away with it in 2022, 2023. You just can't do that anymore. It's just, it's just doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, you know, when there was Dadunov's contract issue, it was brought up just how the 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 – physical process of signing contracts registering them and like there's no central database and all this stuff like all the clauses and stuff there's no um you know real organization or administration to it and i think that also goes with you know from the team perspective when they go to sign people and stuff it's a very sloppy very it's not a there's not really a lot of like written down processes like all right if there's a guy we want to sign to a contract you know we go through all of these steps and only then do we sign him you know it is you know a lot of rush to get people signed and beat out other teams so you know it, it there is not that compliance there is not that oversight into you know from a team side or a league side into this process and is that something that needs to happen you know, and, and how, how is that going to be carried out and, and what, how exactly, you know, how limited or how um, regulated or how much oversight is there going to be uh, for that? I think, you know, at, it's best for teams to drive that versus the league. And, you know, I think it's important for teams to, to drive uh, the, the bus when it comes to who they employ, who they sign, who they work with and stuff. But, it definitely has to be encouraged by the NHL that like, you know, not only should we be organizing and, and storing and, you know, uh, having a central registry for contracts, but we should have a best practice, a central best practice guide on how to, how to vet players, how to sign contracts, how to, you know, do all of that stuff to make sure that, um, you know, what, who we, how we want the game to be is you know, is matched by our actions. Also, just one other thing I wanted to mention is uh, the World Cup of Hockey mm. not going to happen because of Russia's stupid invasion of Ukraine, which means they can't because the other countries, the European countries like the Czechs and the Slovaks and all of them are like, we can't, we're not playing in a tournament with Russia. Completely understand that. And so uh, now it's being pushed. I mean, I understand, well, I understand but I also, I understand I also wish that there was, as much as there's an understanding on why they would be against it, I wish there was more of a dialogue and acceptance from them on why 
it's probably good that we just, you know, we don't associate, hey, this NHL player who's chosen to leave Russia and live and raise his family in Canada or America or whatever, you know, they they want to play and we're, you know, we want to put on, we're choosing to do events broken out by nationality. We're choosing to do this. Uh, so let's, you know, let them play under that nationality and stuff. It's not a statement about politics or anything in the same way that, you know, the American team and the Canada team is, you know, them participating isn't isn't saying that, you know, the bombing in Yemen that they support and supply weapons for Saudi Arabia for is okay. You know, it's just, you know, no one, they only think about it when it's the, the hot topic political thing and there's the, it's the uh, it's the obvious one to one connection they can draw and be like this is political statement this is using sports to further politics and a political agenda and you know is it i don't know i think it can definitely be argued i i wanted to make also one other point that i think is 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 interesting on that is that Elliot Friedman did bring up the idea of a super series kind of Canada US get the best for the Canada the men and the women and just go into one city wherever it is or a tour and play that's a great idea and then do I think that they gotta I think that they need if they're gonna do that I would rather North America versus the world because the, the uh, I want to see US Canada I think we need but, to see I US mean Canada. like you could do that but you could do different splits but if you do US Canada you're leaving out so I mean yes as far as the the viewership every the the whole pie is accommodated for the most part you know the the european viewers they really don't care much about that's what i'm saying you could also do finland sweden you could do czech but yeah yeah if you can't involve the russians but like i'm not i i think it the nhl won't do anything where they they leave out players they won't i mean that's why they did the team europe that's why they did young guns that's why they you know are willing to do more of that stuff because they want to be inclusive as much as possible i know after the last con- talking conversation point we had about mitchell miller obviously inclusivity is uh, a selected and um you know very shallow t- uh thing that the nhl does but um i think that they to me i would want i would want to see different different things like canada u.s sweden versus finland um you know, North America versus the world. I mean, because that was how they did the All-Star game for like four or five years. And the kids that grew up watching those All-Star games are right now, you know, the the people with the young kids, the people who are taking their kids and spending money or the people without kids and with disposable income. Uh, you know, we've seen with the reverse retros, they're really catering to that age demographic. So, you know, that would be cool too. I want to see, you know... But, I, I mean, Canada-Russia, U.S.-Russia, when we talk about these big matchups, you can't have it without Russia. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I think it's, you know, and then, you know, what are you going to do eventually when China gets good enough to have a team? Oh, I don't know about that. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I don't know. Where there's, if, I mean... I don't know about China ever getting good enough. Anyway, regardless of that, uh, there's there's a lot of weird selections on when they care about politics and sports and and what they assign value to and what they don't. And to me, 
it usually falls on xenophobic lines, which is really disappointing. Anyway, I think that's about it. I think we've covered everything in yeah. two hours. Hell of a show. A uh, lot more to come, obviously. I hope the Panthers actually start to finish. And by finish, I mean finish the job and get the stalls out of the lineup. At least for one game, you see what happens. Until then, of course, good night and good hockey.